0: delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door no matter the results you'll always be winning with muck delivery order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus rewards registration required points only on menu items delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com
2: it's the year 2020 it's the start of a brand new calendar year and it's the No in ever podcast. hello welcome back happy new year listeners we are we're here there's been a bit of a hi- hiatus is that the right word uh, a bit of a, a bit of a break from podcast recording over the christmas period as fixtures fell thick and fast and um the team were all over the place and we just basically took a, a decision to have a break over the festive period and come back fresh and relaxed in the new year to to get back into a routine of regular podcasts and to um, dissect everything cloud and blue. So, I hope you all had a very happy Christmas. You managed to get some downtime um, away from work and with your family or friends or however you enjoy spending the Christmas period. Um, team None, None and Ever Certainly Did. I think we all managed to get um, a decent break. So, that's good. Um, Um, But we can't just stay on holiday forever as much as we'd like to. We have to get back to work. And I am joined this evening by regular panellists Tom Whitaker and Richard Steele. Tom, Richard, welcome back and Happy New Year.
3: Happy New Year, Natalie. Good to be back on.
1: Happy New Year. Nice to be back. Wish we had some more happy news to talk about.
2: Well, yes, that does line things up quite nicely, actually, does it, Tom? What in the world are we going to talk about tonight? Because... Since we last spoke to you, there has been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions when it comes to performances off the pitch. Uh, On the pitch, sorry, there have been shenanigans off the pitch with the transfer window that never was, even though it's only the 8th of January as we record this podcast. We've had the FA Cup where we didn't draw City away and we didn't go out to lower league opposition in the first round that we could play in. Um, And we've just had a, a general weird feeling um about our beloved claret so i think we're going to have a little bit of a catch up today we're going to talk generally about what on earth is going on with our boys we're going to have a look at the performances on the field um, we're going to have a look at the transfer window because i think we have to um and we're also going to de- delve into that fa cup game um against posh and see how we feel about the fa cup generally speaking and uh actually that the fa cup being a bit of a uh, a high point for us over the christmas period so since we spoke last um the clarets have had quite a few, well we've had a very heavy christmas fixture list we have started off with three back-to-back defeats in that awful week if you remember where we had that awful game away at Spurs so we had Palace at uh, home which we lost 2-0 we then had City at home which we lost 4-1 and we went to Spurs away and got beat 5-0. Now sandwiched in between that Clowets had a little bit of a um, a happy spike where we had two back-to-back 1-0 wins against Newcastle and Bournemouth two very important wins that just gave us a little bit of breathing space But unfortunately, that was then followed by three more defeats, um, 1-0 away at Everton, 2-0 at home against United, and probably the worst out of all of them, the 2-1 home loss against Villa. What I think, and Tom, I will start with you, what I think is the overall impression of all of those games, even the ones that we won, is that the performances on the field have not quite been up to scratch. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, 100%, I think, especially from an attacking point of view. I remember talking on the podcast earlier this season, I think it was after the Villa game, and we'd just come from behind to to nick a draw at Brighton. We we came from behind twice against Villa to get a draw. uh, The away game, obviously, earlier in the season I'm talking about. And um, I remember saying at that point that it seemed like there was a bit of a difference to last season in that we had more goals in the team. It seemed like we had a bit more of an attacking thrust. It seemed like we we had more um, sort of second options. We had options off the bench if we were chasing the game. We had a bit more of an attacking, maybe not flair, but a bit more of an attacking thrust about us. See, Then later in the season, we had the back-to-back 3-0 no wins. That It can't, must be a long, long time since we did that in the top flight. Um But that all seems to have gone by the wayside. Um, I think we're very much reliant on the two centre-forwards to be in good form for us to be uh, scoring goals. Um, And Barnes, I've heard a lot of talk that he's playing with an injury. certainly looks like he's nowhere near the player he was at the back end of last season or the start of this season. Chris Wood, um, I think he's playing quite well, but he's very isolated um, and he's not getting much help. Um, he's never been at his best as a back-to-goal striker, but he's being asked to do that more and more, especially with the fact that he's having to prop up Barnes in some regards. Um, and I think what this period has really exposed is the weakness in our midfield. Um, if we if we haven't got the outlet, if the centre-forwards centre, uh, centre forwards aren't winning the headers, a lot of teams are going three at the back against us because I think, and certainly Dean Smith, uh, when we played Villa at home recently, I think he caught on to the fact that with two strikers, three centre halves uh, tend to nullify them well if we're just playing the long ball. And at the minute, there just doesn't seem to be another option. The midfield is is really weak. Um, there's two players in there who are very similar. I think Cork and Westwood are both shuttlers. <clears throat> I don't think either is good putting their foot on the ball and spraying it around. I don't think either can come and get it off the back four um, and spray it around without being pressed by the midfield. You know, we when we had a player like mm-hmm. defour, you could trust him to, uh, to to take that extra touch, to to move it in, in a sensible and, crucially, move it forward. And you don't get that from the midfield we've got at the minute. Um, I think one thing that is perhaps a little bit of a glimmer for hope is that I think the back four have, by and large, been playing well. The first half against Villa, obviously, they weren't great. Um, but Everton away, um, I think all five of the defensive units played really well. Man United away. We were mostly untroubled. There was obviously the horrendous mistake, uh, Money out at home, I should say. Sorry, there was obviously the horrendous mistake by Charlie Taylor for the first goal, and then we got caught on the counter attack. But it, w- it wasn't like we were leaking goals like a sieve in, in those games. And obviously, the back four kept us in the Newcastle and Bournemouth games for us to nick the, the goals at the end. So I think if you were going to say there's one glimmer of hope at the minute, it's definitely the back five, the way they're working as a unit. Um, but I think, as the Villa game showed, if if we're gonna be overly reliant then that's not gonna last forever. So we really need Wood and one of Barnes or Rodriguez to start playing themselves back into form soon. And if we're not gonna see improvement from those two midfielders, that's something that we we really need to be having a look at in the window as well for me.
2: Yeah, well, I'm going to stick with the defence to start off with. I'm going to going to bring um, Richard in here. I was I was didn't really want to to stop that floor then because that was an epic monologue. I was very much enjoying that. I was like, I might just take the night off and like let Tom have a, a bit of a rant here. Um, I'm not sure everybody shares your optimism, Tom, about and the performances from the back five. Um, I know this is only one game, but certainly the defence had an absolute shocker um, away at Spurs. I think we all remember that Sun goal where there literally just was there was not a single tackle made all the way all the way through from from him taking the ball and out, you know, and when we were on an attack, running most the length of the pitch and putting it into the back of the net. Um there's also been various claims that Nick Pope could have done better in certain goals and a general feeling that at the moment there seems to be a bit of a Conflict. I don't mean in a personality way, but uh, between me and Tarkovsky, they're not maybe gelling as much as they used to. Um, Richard, you you can't really get away from the fact that we are shipping goals for fun at the moment. There's, you know, there's in those. Uh, six defeats that we've had over the last nine there's a lot of goals gone in there um, where do you stand on this um, disappointment about our uh, defence and in particular what I'd like you to concentrate on is, is the full backs um, a lot of criticism about the full backs and a lot of people wanting them to get replaced and during these games we've seen various combinations of Lawton and Bardsley and Peters and Taylor um, where are you sitting with our defence?
3: Um, I'll come on to your point about the full-backs in a minute. I think our defence has been so unusual this season. There's been games where, like you said, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Watford, where we've looked really solid in defence. It seems to me that when we go 1-0 up, we get in our shape well. Um, I think there's is there only one game this season. I think that was Wolves away and that was a last-minute penalty where we've actually not won when we've when we've gone ahead. So we're looking to me like you know, we calmed down a bit and we look you know, pretty steady. Even Everton away, I know we lost one nil, but that was a late goal. And I thought second half we defended really well in that game. And I, I was disappointed we didn't come away with a point, not because we played that well, just because I thought we nullified Everton's threat uh, by that point. And then there's other times where the Villa game at the weekend and it was like after you, Claude, uh, you know, you know, for that, they should have been three nil up at half time, to be honest. Um, and, you know, for the two Grealish goal, I, you know, I was listening to it because I was, I was actually away in Ireland on New Year's Day, so I couldn't get to the game. And he said it, was headed, that was Villa's first headed goal of the season, or it would have been Aston Villa's first headed goal of the season. And Grealish was just ghosted in there and no one's near him. And then we've not learned our lessons. Um, and then wesley has got absolutely acres of space, uh, to slam it in. So, like Tom was saying, I think our bat four when they're playing well are very good. But then at times they've looked awfully exposed, and if you go back to even at the start of the season, a lot of the goals that we've conceded have been when we have give the ball away in midfield, or like when Charlie Taylor give the ball away. That's you can't really blame any anybody else there. So I'm always confident when we go one nil up that we'll actually defend well. But if we go one 0 down at the moment, you know we just I won't say we completely give up, but we just like go into our shell, and you know we never really look like getting back into the game. I just go to the two fullbacks. I so start with left back first. I think I think personal Taylor a very good player. Um, yeah, it was his fault for the goal against Man United, but I do have a little bit of sympathy for him. I think because he is a quality footballer and he wants to get the ball down and play. He was maybe looking for somebody to pass to because he was just sick of hoofing it and giving the ball away. And ultimately, he did he did end up wasting too much time on the ball. Uh, but you know, he's a good player. He drives forward. You know, can be an attacking threat, links with McNeil well. Peters, to me, is just simply not good enough. He's, he's not good enough at this level anymore. How he played for so long was beyond me. And you're going back to that Tottenham game. Him and Loughton were full-backs, same as Sheffield United, and they got ripped to shreds. You know, lawton has been a great player for us. You know, he has some nice touches on the ball. But, again, his confidence has seemed to have gone. You know, and he just his pace has gone, and he's quite weak. If someone just runs at him one-on-one, who has got a bit of pace and skill. He just gets beat far too easily. And I prefer Bardsley at the moment over the two because I think he is a bit more of a solid defender um, but when you play Bardsley you've got no real class on the ball it's just all brute force so I think left back we're alright going forward with Taylor but we desperately need a right back and we've needed one for a few years um, You know, and we just don't you know, seem to be active enough in the transfer market.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with your your views, Richard. That that Balls is the man for that position at the moment. Um, I'm a huge fan of Matt Lawton, and and it's a shame really that he seems to have fallen out of favour. Um, but when you looked at the the cup game um, at home to the Posh when we played them, he he had an absolute shocker for that their first goal when he just. And you kind of felt, didn't you, that Lawton's career with Burnley was maybe over now? Do you think that's a little bit dramatic to think that, or do you think there is time? Do you think there is an opportunity for him to fight his way back in? Because I agree with you. Whilst we look defensively more solid under Bardsley, we're just missing that link-up play really badly that, that Lawton brings.
3: Yeah, it's hard to say whether his Burnley career is over. Like he's just not played well. For runner games, and he keeps making basic mistakes that shouldn't be happening at this level. I know you need a squad. I think what will probably happen is, well, or what I hope will happen, I think Bardsley's out of contract at the end of the year. I think we'll say our goodbyes to him, and hopefully we get a good young up and coming right back like we did with Taylor, and then Lowton can be a squad player, which I I don't mind doing. But, you know, they've both got strengths, they've both got weaknesses, Lowton and Bardsley. but ultimately they're both not good enough. And that's a position that we really need to replace.
2: Yeah, definitely. I feel like Deitch has this fallback position in him, and I, and I would I would stress here I'm not criticizing this because I think sometimes you you need to to go to this, but it seems to. Go back to Bardsley whenever the chips are a bit down, and we're going through a particularly tough period. And it's that just defensive head, isn't it, that that Dyche often gets criticised for the anti football um, nature in us. Um, you know, he we are missing the the forward play and the crosses and the just the more um, more speed. Actually, I think Lawton is quicker than Bardsley um, going forward, anyway. Um, and he does tend to, to panic a little bit when, when things are going bad and, and defaults that person who can just defend resolutely. And that does come at the expense of some creativity. Um, Tom, back to you then in terms of that creativity. One thing that I think has been massively obvious throughout the Christmas period, and you yourself touched on this in your opening piece, is just the lack of a midfield that we seem to have at the moment. Um, Taking aside at the moment the lack of options in midfield, we have got some injuries. We have inexplicably, depending on what side of the fence you sit on, let Drinkwater go back to Chelsea, who have now gone to Villa. Um, There's no fight for places. There's no options in midfield. And it feels like all that's happening now is that we're just completely bypassing that midfield. Hoofing the ball from defence to try and get to Wood or Barnes to either run onto or take down. Inevitably lose possession and, and then just have to, to defend again. Do you think? Do you think that's fair? You know, and or, or if no, no. well, what can we do about it? How can we get our midfield more involved?
1: Yeah, I think that is fair, and I think we've been doing that for a lot of the season as well. I think even in the uh, uh, some of the games we've won, I think perhaps not so much the West Ham game, and I think there are some games at home where teams sit back a little bit. I think if if Cork and Westwood do get a bit of time in the middle of the park, um, if they're allowed to, to push up a little bit, then they're good at doing what they need to do, which is recycle it out wide, um, get it get it out to the wingers. You won't see them arriving on the end of crosses, but the it, as long as they're not being pressed and they can do that basic job well enough, I think uh, the, the the real difference that we're seeing, I think, is that earlier in the season, um, as I say, these big balls are going to Alden Barnes. They're winning them. They're doing something with them. They're buying these little free kicks that Westwood can play. Uh, and then, as Rich said earlier, if we nick a goal from one of them free kicks, we've been very good this season at sitting on that. Um, I think the the reason that um, the midfield, the the lack of, sort of depth and quality in the midfield has really shown up um, in the last few games is because Wood and Barnes have gone so far off the boil that you're not really noticing that the reason that we can't retain possession is, isn't so much that... Um, that it's them too. It's that we don't have that going through the midfield. And before we've had a, we've had a, an up ball, we've had uh, the big ball going up to the strikers. We've we've been able to disguise the fact that we're bypassing the midfield because it's getting held up in the final third because we're winning these free kicks. Now we're not getting anything from the front two. That's when you start looking at the midfield and uh, and those fingers are starting to be pointed. And it, it's never been a midfield that's that you're going to get a load of quality out of. But if we haven't got it coming from centre forward and we, we need them to step up. And I just don't think they've got the quality to do it. Um, you could argue maybe Hendricks a bit more of a ball carrier than either of them, um, but then he's a bit of a lightweight in the middle. And some of the performances put in recently on the right hand side, I know it's not his position, but I mean the Man United game, I thought he was absolutely awful in that game. So it's not as if he's playing himself into the team. But he did all right in the cup game, and you saw that there is that potential for the midfield in that in the cup game against Peter Bremen. They came in, they showed us far too much respect. They sat off as they let us play, but and I know obviously they're only a League One team, but you did see that we have got quality there. You know, you had Lennon moving inside, and some of the passes he was playing were fantastic. Hendrick uh, was, a, was a bit further forward than you normally see one of our central midfielders, and he got himself a goal and he was involved in a lot as well. So, there is there is that potential maybe for a bit. Of a better uh, midfield, a bit a, a bit more ball retention in the middle of midfield, a bit more quality in the middle of midfield, but not enough really. So for me, the answer is either we've got to spend on a midfielder, which <laughs> it doesn't look like we're going to do. Um, we can look at maybe going to a three in midfield, um, and and maybe either moving McNeil inside and having Cork and Westwood sitting, and then you get that bit of quality in the middle with McNeil. Um. The downside to that is obviously because we've got so few numbers if, we're, if we've only got three midfielders in the squad it's quite hard to play a consistent midfield three from game to game especially with McNeil looking as tired as he is as well. Um The other option is try and get the front two back into some sort of form and get an out ball um, and I think Wood is uh, personally, I think Wood's been playing all right, even in these uh, in these bad games. I think it, with Wood, it's just been a lack of service. I think he when when he's had the ball, as I said earlier, I don't think he's great back to goal. But when he's had it, he has worked. He's he's put himself about. He's been involved. I think Barnes has just been a non-entity in the last month. And if we're hearing that he's playing with an injury, I mean it's very obvious. So why that hasn't been addressed in some way, whether that's by dropping him? sending him for, if he needs an operation or something like that, sending him for that. But I think, to me, it looks obvious Rodriguez needs to come back into the team now and he needs a run as well. Um, Barnes, if it is injury or whether it's form either way, he shouldn't be anywhere near that team for me at the minute. And maybe if you bring Rodriguez in, you've got a player who's better at dropping a bit deeper, linking up with the midfield. Maybe that gives you another option as well. Um, Someone with a bit more technical quality as well. I don't think he's as good at holding the ball up as Barnes, but if you get some balls into the corner for him to chase, if you can get some balls into feet for him, then maybe that's a different outlet as well. So there's a few options for us. Um, I think the best option is to spend a bit of money, but uh, obviously we're probably going to need to look at the back options there as well. So it'll be interesting to see if and how we address that on Saturday.
2: Let's move into that now, because that, that does bring us on to, to quite an interesting... Challenge, I guess, um Richard, we'd not even got to the end of the first of January, um day one of the transfer window, the winter transfer window being opened, where the club essentially came out and said that incomings were unlikely this January transfer window um I guess deep down, we were all expecting that, but that was a a kick in the teeth, wasn't it for all of us um where do we even start with that it it's it's added to quite a not depressed but quite a a down feeling from all burnley fans in that we were we knew that christmas was going to be tough we knew we were going through a challenging spell in terms of games we knew we had injuries and but we always thought well we'll you know we didn't strengthen in in summer we um put this record bid in for a player which we which we were led to believe was around 20 million in in July which didn't happen um so we've all been thinking well we can just strengthen in January we can get cover where we need it and that's apparently not going to happen and on top of that we've sent Danny, Danny Drinkwater back to to uh Chelsea and and over the Christmas period he it, it did feature in the was it the City game he played? I think it was City, wasn't it? Um, that he played, but hasn't played since. So, Richard, k- kick us off with this transfer debacle, and let's see where we get to.
3: I will mention the drink water point first. When we signed him, I was really excited. I thought, right, like, he's going to be a really good partner. Either for Westwood, or it gives us the option to play free midfield. But for me, I, I genuinely don't blame Dice uh, for sending him back. <clears throat> Obviously, you know there was an incident that was really unsavory when he signed for the club, and it took him, you know, good best part of three months to get fully fit, and it just didn't work out. So I don't blame Dad Dice for that one. You've got to keep standards in the squad, but then what frustrated me? He's gone. He's off the wage bill, and then we're saying signings are unlikely. It was just like a double whammy. We were so poor against Villa, so poor over the Christmas period. Surely, Dice Garlic who. Whoever's in charge of the the transfers has got to be watching that, thinking about we need at least two or three players here, you know, just to freshen up the team. Um, And, you know, just to say that they're unlikely or highly unlikely again, it's just so frustrating. It's just the same old spiel time after time. I think they think us as fans are stupid that we'll just believe anything that we say. And, you know, I think we're not, we don't want us to go out and spend 40 million on one player and pay them 150 grand a week we just want to be a little bit more ambitious in the transfer market not just in terms of the money spent but in terms of the type of players that you know we're scouting and looking at there is good players in europe um you know you've got brendia for norwich who's, you know had a really good vein of form he had he cost next to uh, next to nothing for norwich there are players out there um you know we're just looking in the same you know circles again maybe loan players from the premier league <clears throat> or plays from the championship, etc. We all know plays in the championship; they just get inflated prices. Um, so for me, it's just really frustrating. I don't think we're that far off from having, you know, a sustainable good team that can come mid-table in the Premier League. I think we need a right back, a central midfield, a central midfielder definitely starting. And when Gunmanson's fitness, we need a we need another winger. Um, so I, you know, they've been talking about our recruitment in Europe, how it's growing and whatnot, but. Again, to me, it does nothing. Seems to be happening. There. And you know, you've got Mike. Uh, is it Mike Rig or whatever his name is? Who's come in. You know, he's supposed to be, you know, recommending these players. So is it him who's not doing his job, or is he recommending these players to Dice, and Dice is saying no? So I don't think it's just the board. I think Dice is almost like too particular with what he wants. And I was having a chat with my dad about it. Is Dice almost scared to sign these technical players because he, he doesn't know? What to what to do with them? He, does he think? Oh, you know, if we sign someone who's got a technical ability, and you know, who and, 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 and has got a bit more flair and creativity, that like, oh, I'm not going to sign him because I don't actually know how to coach him. So for me, the way we're playing at the moment, uh, our transfer policy in terms of the money spent, who the players that we're looking at, I'm getting to the point more and more. Where I won't say I'm delusion, I'm getting like disillusioned with it, but just my frustrations growing all the time and i think that first half performance against villa for me was a bit of a turning point because you know i'm getting getting a bit sick of these performances and the excuses all the time coming from the top hierarchy at the club
2: yeah i don't i don't blame you richard and I, and I certainly got a sense of that frustration where the fans were not necessarily turning but they were losing patience with the the repetitive nature of the excuses and just the same cycle that we seem to be getting in. Um, just to, to put it into into context, I think, I, for me, this transfer, I don't know, ban or whatever they're going to call it for January, the fact that the that incomings were unlikely, the, the justification for it was is that there weren't any finances available to, to be able to spend. Now, that to me doesn't, seem to rack up and, and both of you have alluded to this in, in, in your pieces there. We've banked and I I thank Jamie Smith for, for summarising this in his tweet actually. I'm taking this from him because it, it put all of the information together. Um 55 million profits been banked in the current Premier League era. So that's not just one season, that's over the seasons we've been there. Um we put a club record bid in, in August which we believe was around um 18 to 20 million something like that for a player which was rejected so we had that money available to spend just six months ago um and we've essentially spent nothing in the last 18 months so the message to come out to say that finances are tight and we don't have the financial model in place to be able to spend in this january transfer window doesn't add up it genuinely doesn't add up um And again, Mike Rigg, um, who was brought in, was supposed to be in charge of recruitment. It was a long term um, recruitment. He's got quite a decorated career behind him and he's worked with some really big clubs in getting their recruitment policy and their scouting network up to date. he's just been invisible and he's not really, certainly from the fan perspective and and listeners, this is all we can comment on because none of us work in the club and the very nature of fan led pieces is that we have to speculate on the information that is made public to us because we don't have anything else to go on. But from a fan perspective, he's been invisible for all the time he's been here. And then the Burnley Express, Chris Borden promised us a piece with Sean Dyche on the Mike's rig situation, which I just thought it was bizarre I didn't understand the piece I didn't understand what the intention was I couldn't make my mind up whether they were setting him up to be the fall guy whether or not they were justifying just not spending any money or whether it was just the same old nonsense coming out about player recruitment um but some of the comments that that Dyche said is that he believed that Mike Wigg was was finding the challenge harder than he thought well I'm not really sure what they promised him when he came in then um but weirdly they, they said that he's actually identifying plenty of targets but those targets don't fit our financial model well then they're not targets then They and, and that to me were just screamed of Two parties being completely on the wrong end, wrong pages. It's like if he's been with the club for eighteen months now, and he's been put in charge of recruitment all the way across, and he wants to bring in about four hundred, identify about four hundred players across all of the um, age groups and across all of the positions. And he's identifying all of these targets, and the club is saying, "No, that's that's completely." out of our model what on earth have they been talking about for the last 18 months how are they so far away in terms of agreeing what the job is here um we don't seem to be going into europe as as richard quite rightly said we seem to be just fishing in the same pond all the time and buying stalk rejects um and then i guess to kind of i I know i know richard you don't agree with this and you you were quite happy to see drink water go back um but Villa have snapped him up straight away and that's now being loaded as a fantastic opportunity for drinkwater and they're in a really precarious position themselves. And you know, what if what if drinkwater goes there now, gets the right manager who actually plays him and he keeps them up at our expense? I get that's dramatic, but these are real repercussions of a real stubbornness in our transfer window. Um Tom, let's bring you back in on this. Um I don't know whether you read that. I'm, I'm assuming you did because you read everything, um, that, that Sean Dyche interview and just the weirdness about it. Um, do you think that there is something not quite right in terms of the club? And what do you think Dyche's role in those transfers is? Richard alluded to this and he said he wondered whether, you know, was Mike Rigg identifying these players and Dyche was just saying No. Do we think that we are perhaps being uh, hampered by Dyche's insistence on being involved in every single aspect of the club now? I, I understand that that might be a difficult thing to think about, but that's one of the things we've always prided ourselves on is that Daich runs a club inside out. Are we seeing a downside of that model now?
1: Uh, I think... With regard to that, it swings around about because you've seen some of the players that we've bought in the last couple of years, not just Drinkwater, Gibson, Vidra, the players that we've brought in for a sizable amount of money by our standards and haven't played. And I think the danger is if you take the transfers out of Dyche's hands completely and say, look, we need X, Y, Z in midfield, we're bringing them in and you haven't got the final say on them. Is he going to play them? He doesn't play the ones that he's apparently signed. So I can see as just doing more of, of that. You know, if you if were to take it out of his hands completely, I think he's got to have some input in the process. And in fairness, you know, probably over his sole tenure, I think probably overall we've, we've done better than we have badly in, in terms of signs. We've, we've had a couple of players that we've bought for very little and sold for, for a lot and we'll probably make, substantial profits on someone like Tarkovsky, Nick Pope, even McNeil will, will make a lot of money on him, I should think. So it's not as if his record's completely disastrous, but it certainly has been in the last couple of years. And I think that's it's coincided with the point where we're having to start spending the big money in order to improve the team. So in the past one, we've been in the prem, we, we can buy a Westwood to three and a half million and it can get in the team. I think we ended up paying was it about six or seven million or something for taylor and a tribunal would 15 million is probably about pushing the limits of of where we have been in the last few years and i think now if if we're going to sign players who are going to improve the team we're looking at 20 25 million maybe even you know maybe even 25 and that seems to be where the sticking point is so i think you, you mentioned the tweet that that Jamie Smith sent out earlier, um, which which yeah really summed it up really well for me as well. Um, the point that he was making, I think, was that if we had this twenty million that Mike Garlic talked about, I think uh, I think it's believed to have been Calvin Phillips as well that we were bidding in for. So it's that we know what position we're looking at. We're looking at the base of midfield. <coughs> Excuse me. sorry. we're looking at someone who can get the foot on the ball and spray it out from the base of midfield. So it's not like we don't know what we need. If we had twenty million to spend in at the end of August and we didn't get him for whatever reason, then why haven't we got 20 million to spend now on somebody else? Um, And if we have got 20 million to spend, why have we gone from the start of September to the start of January without identifying that player, without doing a bit of groundwork, without seeing who's available with that? You know, I I know it's not, you you, you shouldn't be doing it, but I think realistically we know every Club is going to put the feelers out and speak agents, speak to agents and, find out what a realistic fee would be and what wages they'd want and that kind of thing. Um I don't know if necessarily the fault there is is die rig. I think the problem is the scouting network and uh, Richard mentioned earlier that we don't seem to sign anybody from abroad. I saw a good tweet. I think it was Jamie Crowther. Uh, apologies if I've got that wrong. Uh he was mentioning that the last sort of players that we've bought from direct from abroad that have gone on to be successful. And I think there was three names, the last three. And one of them was Drissa Diallo, which, which tells you how long it's been since we've really got good foreign recruit. And the only one we've had in this time has been Stephen DeFour. And, you know, he was a good signing. We picked him up for a song. Um, obviously, that was because of his injury problems. And, and obviously, it wasn't uh, an unmitigated success because of that. But that was a signing that got the fans excited. That was a signing that didn't cost the earth. It improved the first 11 gives a bit of quality that we didn't have before. What is it about that bit of business that we can't recreate? What why were we able to scout him and we've not been able to to scout others in that sort of situation? Uh and I, I suppose I, I I wouldn't pin it all on Daesh. I don't think the problem is necessarily just him. Obviously he's got to take his share of the responsibility, but it's all aspects of the club. Um it's Daesh it's Rig it's the board, it's the money that they're willing to release, it's how far they're willing to push the envelope and it's the scouting network as well. And I don't know who's ultimately responsible for putting that in place, whether that is dice Rig, the board, or a combination of all three. But there's clearly failings at a number of levels and they've been going on for a few transfer windows now. I don't think we've, I think the last player that we bought who's a regular first team or who's played a significant amount of first team games was Taylor and that was two years ago. So, there really has got to be question marks over that. I think even if we don't get anyone in in this window, we're going to limp over the line, but the squad's ageing. Um, good players are being sold and not replaced. Um, people we're bringing in aren't playing, and at some point there is going to have to be a big overhaul because we haven't been making those gradual improvements in the window. And are we going to have the money to make a big overhaul? Um, it's a question that, they all need to sit down and discuss and it's something that we really need answers to quite quickly.
2: Yeah, some really good points in that, Tom. I think highlighting some of the the key points for me is the fact that it is an urging squad. Um, I've been saying that for about 18 months now. I could see this on the horizon and I think fans could see this point coming. Um, if, we keep, if we keep being consistently told that the money isn't there, then there's absolutely no reason to suspect that... Um, that money will be released to do a full overhaul of the squad. It just feels like we are petering away until we finally are done um, this cycle of players is wound up and we just go back down to the championship and start again. That's what it feels like to me that the club is doing. It doesn't feel like they want to, to play the Premier League merry-go-round. They want to just get up there, spend what they've spent, let it run its course for as long as possible. Then once those players have done, um, we fall down a division, we get loads of cheap players in and we just stay in the championship until we can start again and we start the whole cycle again. Now, Let's be realistic here. that model might apply regardless of how much money you spend um There are teams at the moment that are doing the the cycle of championship up to up to um Premier League for, for quite a number of seasons now, and it might be that that's going to happen regardless of how much money you spent look at how much Norwich spent last year uh, look at how much Fulham not Norwich sorry look how much Fulham spent last year um they you know didn't just didn't work for them. They didn't gel at all and they went straight the way back down. Um Middlesbrough a couple of years ago when they came up, they were splashing the cash around, it didn't work for them. So maybe our board are just general geniuses and just say, Well, what's the point? We're gonna waste all of that money and we, we're gonna go down anyway in the natural Premier League cycle. Who knows? Um Richard, a couple of points, final points on the transfer window for you. Um One is a question and two is a consideration. Question which I think will probably be a yes or no answer. Do you think that this is potentially just an absolute PR masterpiece by our club and by Dyche and to completely hustle the market to let them believe straight on that we've got no money um, but actually they are working hard in the background to try and get some players on the cheap and they just don't want to advertise the fact that they're in the market because prices get completely hyped up so that's question number one question number two a lot of fans on social media are offering their managerial expertise as to what players we should be getting rid of to free up the wage bill to bring in new players um do you have any players in the current squad who you would happily see go in this january transfer window to free those up
3: so yeah your first question um i be, you know, I do still think they're looking at players but because they've not said no, we're definitely not signing anyone. And I do think if a player comes up at the right value, but everything's got to be perfect for the for them to sign someone, they don't seem to just want to take a little bit of a gamble on a player who might be young or might be a little bit more money or you know coming from a you know coming from a foreign league. So I think they are looking, and me personally, I think we'll get somebody on loan to replace Drinkwater. Um, later on in the transfer window, um, but who knows what the quality of that would, of the quality of that player would be. Obviously, they've talked to. There's been mentions of Conor Gallagher, who's currently at Charlton on loan from Chelsea, but they said he's not coming back. Um, a player that I'd like to look for, um, and I've heard he's going to come back from RB Leipzig would be even Ampadu It's like a holding midfielder, you know, and he can play box to box too. And when I've watched him for uh, for Wales in in particular, I thought he's been excellent, and I've always thought. He's a player who I, who I think would be really good for us. Um, there's a lot of talk about Jaden Bogle, but I've not seen too. I've not seen too much of him. Um, but in terms of players that we could let go, there seems a lot of noise that um, that we're looking at Scott McKenna from Aberdeen. And actually, when we actually played Aberdeen in those two legs, I thought he was a standout player for them. And he's only 23, and they're talking about six million. So see if we can recoup. You know, what we did for Gibson and get him in, I think that's a decent bit of business. I don't see, if we can get money in for Gibson, I don't see the point in us keeping him at all because he's not going to play. He doesn't want to be here. You know, he posts stuff about Middlesbrough all the time on his social media. So he's clearly, you know, you know, his heart's not in being at Burnley. Uh, it's just about getting the right bid. For me, we might as well get rid of Vidra because even if we've got no strikers, he's not going to play. So, you're looking there, you could easily get close to 20 million for those two players. You put Naki Wells in the mix, who's scoring goals in the Championship. I, I'm not having all this about recalling him. I don't think he'd be good enough at this level. There's still a massive gulf between the Premier League and the Championship. You could get a few million for him. So, and then for me, get rid of hearts, but it seems like no one would take him, even if it was a free. I've heard he's on massive money. So, say if you got rid of hearts and you got rid of drink water, that could free up, I, I don't know, maybe like seventy, eighty pounds worth. Of money a week on players so all this saying that the the one thing that annoys me there are finances there to sign players it's nonsense whether it is a good a good loan player or five million on a young player or like Tom was saying Calvin Phillips we bid 20 million for him so all this stuff about finance to me that's just an out and out lie if they come out and they were just saying we don't think the right players are available in January or we're willing to you know, wait till the summer we've identified targets, but they become available in the summer. Or if one does come up that that we want, yeah, we'll put a bid in. But to say, you know, we've not got the finances to sign anyone at all after they get rid of drink water, even if they sell players, because we can do. Um, so that's what, out of everything in that interview, like with Daesh and, you know, that we talking about on the Berlin Express, I think that was the point that frustrated me more than any.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the the press that you read, I don't know whether or not this is just news fillers or cl- not clickbait in the negative sense, but obviously local journalists, especially, have got to keep their columns. Filled for the rest of the month. And if the the club are going to write off completely the transfer window on the 1st of January, they've got a lot of columns to fill with nothing. So a lot of them seem to be going on the line of, oh, you know, Burnley have said that transfers incoming are unlikely, but that's not to mean that they're not looking in the background. And and you're probably right, they probably are. there's, the word negligent is being banded around social media quite a lot at the moment, De- definitely directed towards our board um, about how they are handling the transfers. And I do think it would just be, I think if, if, if genuinely they are not even in the market looking for any replacements or trying to do these deals, then we've got a bigger problem than we think we are. So I'm going to work on the assumption that they are looking and um, it's just they're trying to shut down speculation and shut down the conversation now. Um Tom, back to you then, so we'll finish off this this welcome back trans, uh, podcast. Um, I didn't want to concentrate too much on the games and the, the performances because a lot of it felt very down and I didn't want to start the new year being all well, like, albeit we have then whinged about the transfer window, so it's not been the most uplifting one. But um, the cup game at home against the Posh was actually a, a nice Break from the the difficulties being faced in the Premier League at the moment, and a, a very convincing victory by our second team, for as much as they were, albeit marred by the injury to JBG, which is a massive blow. But um, it felt nice, didn't it, for the cup game to not only be in the hat for the next round, and we've got Norwich at home, which is a great great draw, and I'm really looking forward to. But just to be able to go out there and play with that freedom.
1: Yeah, I touched on it earlier. I think uh, Peter will be will be disappointed with the way they approached it. I think they showed us. Far too much respect. They were really deep. They let us play our football. But having said that, um, you know, we if we, you've got the opportunity, then you can only beat what's put in front of you. And uh, I wasn't looking forward to the game before. I was pretty pessimistic. I had a bit of money on Peterborough. I made a bit of money betting on Sunderland in the League Cup game earlier this season. So I followed that up. But uh, it was a bad shout this time. Yeah, we, we dismantled and we played some really nice stuff. Lennon played really well. I think he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. The midfield looked a bit freer. Rodriguez uh, chipping in with a couple more goals, staking out uh, you know a claim to be in the first team. Um, And yeah, it was it was a bit of an antidote for the doom and gloom that's been around. Um, People say uh, you know that that it can disrupt your momentum um, if you put a weakened team out for the cup, but the team that we put out actually was was pretty strong. When you I think when you look back, the starting eleven had ten internationals in five England internationals. So. Um that's uh, probably a, an indication that the squad's not as weak as it has been in previous years. And we've had some of these really bad cup results. Uh, the performance was really good. Hopefully that will put a bit of a spring in the step of all the players. Um, as you say, it's a, a good draw in the next round as well. Another home game, and another winnable game. If you get through to round five, you get another decent home draw. Suddenly you're in the quarterfinals. And the last time we're in the quarterfinals was 2003. So hopefully if we can put a bit of a cup run together this year, then it might just be a bit of an antidote for the doom and gloom that surrounded the league form at the minute. Might put a bit of a spring into the step of the fans and the players, give us something to look forward to. Uh, it might end up being a positive. And uh, if we keep if we put in a few more performances like we're doing against Peterborough, obviously I know there's the big caveat that it was Peterborough, and uh, and like I said, they didn't play particularly well either. But um, hopefully that that will give us some confidence at the very least.
2: Do you think we can beat Norwich um, in the in in the the fourth round, Tom? I think. We gave them a real um, show of experience at turf. That was in one of the hazy days of the opening <laughs> games of the season and it's it's gone uh, slightly different for both sides, I think, since then. But um, I don't think they will come with a full-strength side. I think away at Burnley, another Premier League tie and a, a team that have already comprehensively beaten them once this season at that same ground, um, they've got a huge survival battle on their hands. I, I fully expect us to, to get past that and be in the fifth fifth round draw, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think they're in a similar boat to us uh, in that it's not their priority. They won't bring the first team. Like I said, I think they, they had Preston away, didn't they, in the last round And that. Irish lad got a hat-trick for them, the, the young lad. But um, I think he was aided massively by an absolute shocker from Preston's keeper. And obviously Preston are, are in a bit of dire form themselves. So I think that's three defeats at home on the spin now. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think they'll be busting a gut to beat us. I think they'll be... They'll be in the position where they think, you know, if we lose, then you know, at least we've got we can concentrate on the league for the rest of the season. Whereas we, even though we're in really poor form and we've got a difficult run of fixtures, we have got a bit of a cushion on the bottom three. We're not uh, we're not looking doomed like they are. So I think we've got we can afford perhaps a little bit more to to have a cup run. Uh, and then, as I say, the other thing is the the team that we'll put out if we put the same team out that we're doing peter Peterborough, then it's going to be a strong team as well. So yeah, every confidence that we can win that and and who knows hopefully not man city away in the fifth round
2: <laughs> that would be nice i fully expected that to be the draw and when, when it happened i was just waiting for for the first ball to come out. be manchester city at home but uh, luckily we got out there before they did um Richard, Tom did mention there that we have got a cushion on the bottom three and it's not as doom and gloom as it is for Norwich. However, that comes with a bit of a caveat and um, taking aside the distraction of the FA Cup for a while, our next nine Premier League games are nothing short of horrible. Um, I'm pretty sure that every listener has already got this on their radar, but let me just talk you through our next nine fixtures. Chelsea away, Leicester at home, United away, Norwich Oh no, sorry, that's the FA Cup fourth round. Um Arsenal at home. Then we have a so that's the, the next four games are Chelsea, Leicester, United and Arsenal. Ouch. Then we have a bit of a respite where we have Southampton, Bournemouth and Newcastle. Um I think the Southampton and Newcastle games are both away and Bournemouth's at home. And then we're straight back into it when we've got the final two of Spurs at home and City away. Now, Richard, with the best will in the world, it very much looks like we're not even going to be able to start thinking about picking some points up until around the 15th of February when we play Southampton at home. And that's going to not going to be an easy game, particularly with how much Danny's on fire we could easily find ourselves in the bottom three by the time we play Southampton. Um, that cushion in that Premier League isn't going to be around for much longer. And I'm a little bit worried about these nine games. Can we realistically see us getting many points out of those those nine games? Because that is going to put us in a whole world of trouble, if not.
3: I think looking nine games ahead, considering we've played 20 games this season uh, so far, I think that's a... I don't think you can really look too far ahead. I think if you start looking too far ahead into nine games. I think you start getting muddled thinking. Um, I've been quite negative on the podcast so far about stuff that's gone on behind the scenes, which will still remain even if we pick up a few points in these games. But what I would say is, when we because of because of our squad and dice's reluctance to rotate, when we have say three games in a short period of time. So I'm going back to when we played Palace. Um, Palace City it was the other team we played we played Palace City and someone else and we lost three on the bounce and then it we was
2: Spurs that Spurs week. yeah, yeah Spurs. and we
3: won two on a row so obviously over Christmas we have been quite poor and we've lost three on a row I'm not going to say we're going to beat Chelsea and Leicester but I think hopefully you know we're not having to play game after game if there's any niggling injuries or Dice can hopefully get them on the training ground and get them looking more solid again I don't really, you you know, I would break it down into these four games against the four bigger clubs. I don't really fear Arsenal at home. You know, they've been poor away from home for a long time. I know they've got Arteta, but we can still make it difficult for them. Um, I'm going in reverse order. United away. I don't know what Burnley's going to turn up. Every time I've watched United this season, other than City away, they've looked poor to me. Um, Even that second half, you know, when we actually had a go against United, we did cause them problems. Leicester at home, I think, will be tough, and I think this Chelsea away will be tough. But <coughs> last season, we proved, <coughs> you know, sorry, when we rolled our sleeves up, you know, we managed to get um, a couple of goals there and, and get a draw. And I don't think that, and if you look at it, they've lost at home this season to Bournemouth and West Ham when they've been on really bad runs. So I don't think it's a lost cause. Hopefully, Dice can get them back on the training ground, get them back well drilled, and get them up for the fight. Um, because, you know, we do need it in these next few games. I still think we'll have enough um, to stay up this season. I still think it will be over the caution. We've still got ninety—sorry, uh, 18 games left. I think we'll have enough to stay up. You know, we look at it now, we've got 24 points, you know, and all that 40-point marks the golden, you know, number that you want to get to. So that's only another 16 points. I think, realistically, what do we need in 18 games? Four wins, five wins? you know, which is more than doable. So, you know, I think with the points tally we've got, and we have got a little bit of a cushion, and Bournemouth's not in good form. Norwich, to me, are down already. They conceded too many goals. Watford's won, which could still stay up. Villa's obviously lost, you know, McGinn, Heaton, um, who are, uh, Wesley, who are big players. So, yeah, it's been a really bad spell, and there's big issues behind the scenes that won't go away, even if we stay up this season. Um, like you said you know are we going to even if we stay up this season we're going to go down next season but I still think with what we've done in the first half of the season we'll have enough points to stay up I just want to see us going back to when we had them first few games of the season even Leicester away when we lost you know we got the ball down we passed it a bit more so hopefully against Chelsea they don't like playing Burnley hopefully we can get under the skin a little bit and even if we lose let's just put in a bit of fighting performance and show what you know, that pride that Burnley's associated with and put a bit of uh, blood, sweat and tears back into that claret shirt.
2: Oh, do you know what, Richard? I could not have said that better myself. That is so, so important. I think one of the things that highlighted the, the disappointing phase we're in at the moment was that injury time against Villa. Um, We got nine minutes injury time because of the injuries and, and all of the stoppages and the, the VAR decisions that we had um, in the game. We were 2-1 down at home against a team in 18th who we desperately needed to at least not let them win or, or get a point from. And We spent about six of the nine minutes just mindlessly passing the ball sideways and backwards in our own half without any momentum whatsoever to try and get an equalising goal. And that, to me, just sums up that lack of fight that you're talking about, Richard. This is a Sean Dyche side. This is a side that... That has Ben Mee who puts his head on somebody's boot on the line to stop a goal going in. It's a side that works for each other and never knows when it's beat and we've just not seen that over the last couple of months and that's the side that we need to get back. Um, Tom, last word from you then. Do you share Richard's optimism? Um, do you think we've got enough in the tank to stay up this season? Um, Or do you think we're doomed? (laughs) You can't say doomed in January, but let's say, are we going to have a very tough running or do you share Richard's view that we've got enough?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a procession. I think it'll be ugly at times. I think probably looking at the set of fixtures, I think we're going to get closer to the bottom three before we get further away. But uh, I think we've had a good enough first half of the season. As Richard said, I think we need probably five, maybe six wins. But I think we're good enough to get them. I think we've got enough winnable games at home. I think we've got enough about us to nick the odd away game. Uh, and I think we'll get over the line and I think the summer's going to be a big one. But for this season, yeah, I share Richard's confidence that we're going to be okay.
2: Yeah, I think one of the benefits of having these nine games coming up that are absolutely horrific is that the the running towards the end of the season actually looks great. Um one of the things I tend to do when the fixtures come out is look for the last six or seven games at the end of the season because that can often dictate, you know, if if you are if you're in the bottom three and you desperately need four points or so sort of four or five points to survive and you're playing United, Leicester, Liverpool, City in the last four games, for example, then you know you're you're absolutely knackered. Our running looks like it's games that we should be fighting in and we can win. So um it's a hat trick for me. I'm worried. I share Richard's concerns that there's stuff not quite gelling in the background and share Tom's concerns about the ageing squad and the the lack of transfers. But I agree with both of them that we should have enough in our tanks to be able to to get us over the line. Um, Tom, Richard, do either of you have any other points that you want to cover in our welcome to the new year catch-up session or do you think we've covered all the points that we needed to in this this ugly
3: phase of the season? Yeah, just last one for me. I think we can all voice our frustrations and and everyone's got a right to boo and, you know, especially half-time against Villa but I just, you know, there's a lot of stuff about Dice wanting to go which I still think is nonsense. Dice goes, who you get in? You know the team. You know you, you you can tell even though our first half performances haven't been great. Even the second half, we've come out against United and Villa. We have give it a good go and ultimately have lacked a bit of quality, uh, which shows to me that the players are still together. So you know, yeah, we've had a bad Christmas. We've had a bit of time off from the Premier League. You know, a nice win against Peterborough, which was enjoyable. Um, you know, let's just hopefully we get some at Chelsea. But even if we don't against Leicester, it'll be a tough game. Let's just get right behind the players and. You know, make Turf more that intimidating atmosphere again.
2: Yeah, let's do that. And Guys, we know it's hard. We've seen the comments, we've seen the feedback where you're saying that the players have got to give it back, give us something to cheer for. But somebody's going to have to give and, and why not us? Why not just get on there and say, right, guys, enough is enough. We've had this horrible spell. We're in this together, Rich is absolutely right. We're all going to give blood, sweat and tears for that shirt from the board to Dyche to the coaching staff to to the guys who serve us our Benny and Hot at half time we're all in it together so this is going to be the start of, of a new phase for Burnley. now we're going to get rid of this disappointing Christmas period and when we join you next week we're going to have um, a fantastic win away at Chelsea to talk about I'm quite sure of it um, that is all we have got time for this week I, um, I'm i glad you're all back I'm glad we're back um, it's a new year we will be back as normal into our weekly routine with the main podcast so um, myself and the rest of the panel Um, Liam, George and Robbie or a combination of those um, guys will be back next week Um, Statman Dave and I will be back on Friday for the preview show uh, my thanks as ever go to producer Matt for knitting this all together and um, getting it out for you. And, and a big thanks, especially for all of his hard work over the Christmas period. Um, he really um, had to to jump in and out getting preview shows done for that congested fixture. So, Matt, we, we very much appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and my thanks to band Joyce, who provide our backing music for the podcast. Um, thanks to Tom and Richard for that really difficult podcast today actually we've asked them to come on and and really I guess share their frustrations but try and keep it upbeat and it's a lot to ask for fans to to come on I know we open ourselves up to a lot of criticism and and people get on our backs if we start being too negative but you know there's a reality about where we are at the moment and I thought both Tom and Richard just gave some really balanced and some really sensible views there so guys thank you so much I really appreciate you giving your time um thanks as ever finally go to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you and as a reward for that loyalty you should keep your ears to the ground because Nona Never is going to be working with uh, in collaboration with the Turf Cast podcast over the next week or so to bring you a very special podcast with an one and only Ian Wright. In celebration of it being 20 years since he pulled on that famous Claritin blue shirt, he has agreed to come on both our podcasts and give the listeners some historic feedback about um, what it was like to be a clariton, just exactly what Stan Turnitz said to him to um, convince him to come to Burnley. So fingers crossed everybody, keep your fingers, toes on put your lucky bad bob beats or whatever they were called that robbie blake used to wear um just to, to keep your fingers crossed that we'll be able to get that over the line and, and keep your eye out for that um if you want to get in touch with us you know how to usual channels and we'll be back next week um that's everything i've been natalie bromley this has been the in the podcast until next time
1: because businesses that grow grow with shopify get a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash work shopify.com slash work
0: this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans